Several years ago, we took our children to Disney World for a full seven-day vacation. We had promised our boys that we were going to do this in the summer of 2014, but little did we know that God had other plans and would be moving us to Boone, North Carolina, where I would begin pastoring this congregation. So needless to say, our boys were disappointed that we weren't able to go as planned, and so we had promised them that we would make it up to them the next year. Now, if you've ever gone to Disney World, you know that a vacation to Disney is not cheap. And so we did the very best that we could to keep our expenses down. And so rather than staying at the resort, we ended up getting a hotel outside of the resort and then commuting each day back and forth. The boys were super excited to go, and Angela had made us a reservation to have breakfast on the very first day at a place called Chef Mickey's. Now, Chef Mickey's is a breakfast buffet where all the Disney characters are there, and they come to the tables, and they greet all of the children while they're eating. So we went ahead, and we ate breakfast, and all the characters began to come by, and we pulled out our, our, our cameras and began to take pictures of the kids as they stood there with Goofy and with Donald and with Mickey and Minnie and such, and, and they were having a great time, and we enjoyed our breakfast. But I have to tell you that the breakfast itself wasn't particularly anything special. We had waffles and fruit, and we had eggs and biscuits and bacon and sausage, all the typical breakfast buffet type of things. Needless to say, it was nothing that I couldn't have gone to the grocery store and picked up myself and made at home. So, needless to say, I was quite surprised when our waitress showed up and brought me the bill. Because when I opened up the the billfold and I saw the bill there, I almost fell out of my seat. When I looked down, the bill itself read $175. This is for two children's breakfast buffets and two adult breakfast buffets. And certainly, we didn't eat $175 worth of food that morning. So I immediately looked up at Angela, and she immediately gave me the evil eye. She knew that I was going to blow the whole week if I pitched a fit about how much everything was going to cost. See, she thinks that I'm cheap. I consider myself to be frugal. So I kept my mouth shut because I knew that not only would it save my marriage, but it would also not ruin the day that the Lord had made for us. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a very hard time spending that kind of money on something that I know costs very little. I consider it a social injustice, but Disney calls it the experience. And the truth is, is that we got to enjoy the experience quite a bit that week together. Honestly, this is something that I struggle with on all kinds of things. I I find it hard to justify spending an outrageous amount of money on things that shouldn't really cost that much. I feel guilty when I do it because I know that there are poor people all over the world who don't have the means to go on elaborate vacations or even to eat an expensive steak dinner. I've even often lectured my own children about eating their dinner when they complain about what we've made for them, reminding them that there are starving children all around the world who would be happy to have their meal. That's generally when my youngest child, Lawson, speaks up, and he says, No problem, Dad. You can give them mine. You see, he's quite, he's quite the compassionate giver. Certainly, there are people all over the world in varying degrees of poverty who would gladly trade their troubles for ours. 
So as we come to our scripture reading today in Matthew's gospel, we find the disciples also outraged over the extravagant waste of perfume that a woman freely gives to Jesus. Matthew tells us, While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Jesus is in Bethany at the home of a man named Simon, who more than likely was healed by Jesus from his leprosy. Now, Bethany is believed to be a a quaint village where many of the poor and the sick lived. In fact, Jesus' closest friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, lived there in Bethany, about 15 miles south of Jerusalem. As Jesus was visiting at Simon's house, an unnamed woman shows up with a very expensive jar of perfume. And she begins to anoint his head with it. Now, if we read the Gospel of Mark, we find that this perfume was worth more than 300 denarii. Now, one denarii was what was considered to be the daily minimum wage. So if you begin to think about this, the cost of this perfume was really worth about an entire year's salary. The disciples are in disbelief at what she is doing. They see it as being wasteful, kind of like eating at Chef Mickey's for breakfast every single day for an entire year. And I have to be honest with you, I I kind of agree with them. It seems odd for someone to take something of such great value and just pour it on someone to, to spend a whole year's salary in just a moment's time. It's kind of like spending a fortune on a wedding day. Some people spend an entire year's salary on their daughter's wedding day for just a few short hours. I remember my father-in-law actually offering Angela and me $8,000 to elope, and I have to tell you, I was all in, but her mother immediately stopped that from happening. You see, while the disciples make a valid point, Jesus will have none of it. In fact, he says, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, the disciples thought that they were scoring some major social justice points with Jesus, but he rebukes them for making the woman feel bad. He sees this as an act of worship, an act of love, but also as anointing him for his burial. You see, it's Passover week, and Jesus is about to go away, and he's told this to the disciples time and again, but they seem to continue to dismiss it. And while the woman is offering her very best for Jesus, he views it as foreshadowing his death. Now, we know that Jesus' death happens to be on a Friday. We call it Good Friday, and he wasn't probably anointed for his burial because he was taken off the cross right before sundown, which is when the Sabbath day begins. And so he sees her gift as pre-anointing his body for what's to come. However, I have to tell you, Jesus' words here are often misused. The poor you will always have with you. 
So often this verse is used as justification for a lack of generosity to the poor. We know that poverty doesn't end. Jesus even says that the poor will always be around, but he's not saying this in order to justify a lack of response to the poor. He's saying that what this woman has done is important because he will soon be crucified, dead, and resurrected. And during Passover, it was common to focus on giving to the poor. And the disciples probably had this in mind when they pitched a fit about what she had done. But the Jewish rabbis also spoke of the importance of two kinds of good works. One, giving money to the poor, and two, providing burial for the dead. In fact, they saw providing for one's burial to be of greater importance. You see, it can only be done once. Giving to the poor can be done multiple times or at any time. Caring for the dead is also personal while giving to the poor can often be impersonal. And Jesus himself promoted caring for the poor and for the destitute. That's what he did in his ministry. But we have to remember that Jesus himself was poor, always dependent upon the hospitality and the gifts of others. Ironically, Matthew doesn't record anyone complaining about the birthday gifts that Jesus received from the Magi when he was a toddler. Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. There's some pretty extravagant gifts for a young child. But Jesus is no ordinary person. He's God in the flesh, and he identifies with the poor and came to proclaim the good news to the poor, sharing the kingdom of God with them. And Jesus is a good Jew, and he knows the Hebrew Bible well, especially God's call to care for the poor among them. And we find this in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11. It says, There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So just to be clear, Jesus is not giving us a pass to look the other way or establishing any type of reasoning for his disciples to neglect the poor. He is accepting the gift of worship that has come from the open hands of this unnamed woman who sees him as the greatest treasure. And he's not going to allow his disciples to rebuke her for being wasteful. Instead, he says that her generosity will be acknowledged in perpetuity as the gospel is preached. You see, this is the tension that we live in as disciples of Jesus we should be mindful of the poor all the time. We should think about what we spend our money on or how extravagantly we waste our money on things when others have such great needs. God doesn't want us to neglect the poor. He wants us to be open-handed. Our love of God should also influence our love of neighbors. And yet sometimes we can become so focused on giving to our neighbors that we forget the love of God that's supposed to drive it. We can act like the disciples did when the perfume was wasted on Jesus. You see, the church understands this better than anyone else because we know that we're called to worship God and serve our neighbors in the name of Christ. Yet so often in the church, we argue over what's more important when it comes to our church budget. Now, some people argue that we need to spend more money on our worship gatherings like the Moravian Love Feast or our Easter Sunday worship service or special services that we do throughout the year. 
There are some who argue that we need to spend more money on our children's ministry or on our youth ministry so they can learn how to worship and serve others. Some argue that we need to set aside special funding for special retreats and getaways and for fellowship opportunities in the church. And yet there are others who look at all these things as spending money on ourselves and that our money could be used best by giving it to the poor. They desire to move more money to support local and global missions so that the good news can be shared in both word and in deed. They desire simplicity so that greater care can be given to address the needs of those who are impoverished. The tension is that all of these things are worthy things that share God's love. I mean, God instructed Solomon to build an elaborate temple that would provide a a special place of worship for God. But God also instructed the Israelites to care for the poor and the orphan and the widow among them. Yes, the poor will always be with us, but what matters is how we respond to them as we worship God and live in faith together. We aren't simply called to have a a vertical relationship with God that is absent of caring for others, nor are we called to care for the poor to the extent that we miss Jesus right there in front of us. You see, Jesus speaks very clearly in Matthew's gospel about how we care for the poor. In fact, he happens to do this just before our passage in chapter 26. For if you read in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives us a vision of his glorious return when all the nations will be gathered together before him and while he sits as the judge on his righteous throne. He will begin to separate the people from one another. Some he will put to his left, others to his right, as you would separate the sheep from the goats. And then to those on his right, he will say to them, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will ask, well, Lord, When did we do these things for you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, we find that the woman who anointed Jesus that day in Bethany, she was caring for the poor and was worshiping the Lord at the same time. She was giving all that she had to show her love and gratitude for who Jesus is and for everything that he had done for her. And together, you and I are called to do exactly the same. We're not called to pit worship and education over mission to the poor or vice versa. Instead, we are called to worship and to serve. And in our worship, we offer all of who we are. We offer our resources of time and talent and of treasure as the sweet perfume anointing the head of our Savior. In our service and care for the poor among us, we offer our love to our neighbors as if we were serving Jesus himself. According to Jesus, this is exactly what we are doing 
And while the poor will always be with us, we are called to live in ways that seek the welfare of others and not just of ourselves. It means that we should think about what we do with our time and our talent and our resources. Not that we have to sell everything that we own and give it away to the poor. We know that that will not eliminate poverty from the earth. But we're to be led by the Holy Spirit to help in tangible and even in systematic ways that provide temporal and long-term stability to those who struggle. We may not be able to give the dinner that we're complaining about to someone else, but we can provide a meal to the hungry through our disaster relief fund or through other organizations within our community or around the world that seek to provide the hungry among us with a nutritional meal to eat. Certainly, we can rethink what we do with our extravagance, the extra things that we spoil ourselves with, like that Starbucks latte we have once a day or maybe a couple times a week. And maybe rather than buying that, we could set aside that money to purchase a water filter so that those in Chiapas or in Haiti can have clean water to drink, things that we often take for granted. You see, these are the little things that can make a huge difference in the life of the poor in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, while we can't end poverty in and of ourselves, we can make a difference to some who are impoverished. And our worship of God leads our service efforts, and our service offers worship to the God who became poor that you and I might become rich. In doing so, we worship and serve the Lord Jesus himself. So friends, together let us be open-handed in tangible ways that offer our worship and our service to Jesus Christ daily. Friends, may we do so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.